The Doctor Is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Why does he never say the hometown of Dr. Ray? I mean, I understand that Mother Angelica definitely deserves all the accolades, the admiration, and the prayers that we send to her and she to us. Just, just once, every, every maybe three, four months, uh, the hometown of Mother Angelica, and also our own Dr. Roy Ganudi, or or something thereabouts. This is Look Back Friday on The Doctor Is In. Take previous calls, edited at the capable hands of Andrew Kruchek, producer man and editor. And then we play them, at least as they are edited, and I comment more. I want to say things about them, whether it is to exacerbate, exacerbate? No, wrong word, wrong word. Is to embellish something that I said, to extrapolate, that was the word I was looking for, from something they asked, but we didn't get a chance to address during the call because other people were on the line. Whether it was a term used that I didn't stop to define, uh, assuming that people would know it, but recognizing that that may not be the case. Whatever, each call has a lot of reasons why they are chosen as a look-back call. However, uh, it can be distilled down to one reason. I just want to talk some more. I mean, if you get down to it, down to the nitty-gritty. So we will get to those calls. Some of you uh, recognize I've been into physical fitness pretty much since the day I was a freshman and I was being rushed by the fraternity the Phi Delta Thetas I wanted to join A to Piece of Pi but uh, they had been kicked off campus the Phi Delts were the jocks and so they took me to the gym they put the weight on the barbell and they said see if you could do this and that was it I was hooked so sometimes people will write me. They'll say, Dr. Ray, do you, do you have any particular fitness plan that I might try as a beginner? As a beginner. I said, well, yeah, and I've written, I've written one up. Okay, it's, uh, it's for strengthening your shoulder muscles, your arm muscles. About three days a week is good enough. Stand on a comfortable surface where you have plenty of room at each of your sides. With a five-pound potato sack in each hand, extend your arms straight out out from your sides, and hold them there as long as you can. Try to make it to a full minute, then relax. Each day you'll find you can hold this position just a little bit longer. After a few weeks or a month, whatever it takes, move up to a 10-pound potato sack. And then you can master that 50-pound potato sack. 
Eventually, your goal is to try to get where you can lift a 100-pound potato sack. Now, once you're feeling confident at that level, what you do is you put a potato in each of the sacks. Okay? There you go. Be careful not to overdo it. Starting, starting you out slowly. In the therapist's office, a lot of people will come in and point to historical reasons for their present behavior. The most common historical reason, of course, is childhood. Things happened in childhood. And they are convinced that because of that, uh, they may not ever be able to get past the reverberating effects, emotional, behavioral, of what they experienced. One of the great things about being an adult is that you now have the resources, if you would choose to use them, to get past that, to to recognize that you no longer have to be dominated by it. It may be a memory, and certainly not trivializing some of the very, very harsh stuff that people live through, no question about that. But as adults, they have the ability to think it through, they have the ability to alter their emotions. They have the ability to choose new behavior patterns, new directions. They have that. They've, they've got that resource. When they were nine, they didn't. When they were nine, they were pretty much at the mercy of what was going on around them. They didn't really have the power to alter their environment. They, prob- they didn't have the, the brain development to necessarily work it through and not be so controlled by it all. But at age 29, they do. They have those abilities. That's one of the great benefits, the blessing of being an adult. They also have the ability to ask God to give them the graces and the strengths. At age 9, you probably don't think a whole lot about asking God to give you grace and strength. But at age 29, you might. So you have God helping you. One of the more tragic things that I see in the office is someone who is convinced that that's it. Whatever happened to them previously in their lives is going to haunt them, constrict them, ruin them for the rest of their life. Now, if they believe that, it's very hard to convince them out of that. Therapy has an aim to help them to realize they can use the resources that they have. Those resources, they're not all damaged. There may be certain parts of their emotions that are damaged or certain parts of their thinking, but they still have a lot left that they can use to counter what they experienced. Once they realize, I don't have to be constricted, I don't have to be depressed about what happened 24 years ago. 
they can begin healing. But Dr. Ray, you make it sound easy. I didn't say it was easy. But if the goal is to live the best life you can live and be at the most peace you can be at and be at the most joy level you can be at, then then that's what you have to do. You could say, well, I don't know if I'll ever get over that. And at that point, you may not. But to recognize, one of the things that has amazed me as a psychologist, and I read about it and I've experienced it with my clients, some of them have experienced unbelievable trauma and hardship beyond comprehension. How is it that they are living fairly functioning lives? How, how is that? And, and furthermore, some of them are even peaceful and joyful in their lives. How, how is that? Whereas others who have had experiences far less traumatic difficult and harsh maybe but far less traumatic are bound by them what is it now one might say well it's the way they're wired and that's true their wiring is a big component many people can have a resiliency to their temperament that is a blessing from god they've been given that but i think another aspect of it is the will to say i don't want to be tethered to what I experienced 17 years ago. I don't want that. Sexual assault. I've seen many people in my office who have had that. And the ones who get better are the ones who say, it was a terrible experience, but I am removed from it. I can move forward. I have the ability. And they're willing to do what they have to do and think the way they have to think to get past it. They're willing to do that. Sometimes you'll get somebody to say, well, you you can't know what I'm feeling because that's never happened to you. You get people who do that. And that's a pretty good sign that they're not wanting to alter the way they think or the way they behave or the way they feel because they invalidate you. Someone who's lost a child and it was years and years ago and their life is is still so depressed and unhappy they've moved forward a little bit but not much they've lost their marriage they've ceased to function at anywhere near full capacity and they may say well you have you ever lost a child and I said well no not not to death Therefore, the therapist can't know what they're feeling. And that's true. You can't know what they're feeling, but, but, you, can, but you can know some of the things you can do to get, to get past that stuff. So, you're not tethered to your past. And if you are, then you're stuck. Because you couldn't control what happened to you if this happened in childhood. You couldn't control it. A lot of harshness happens in adulthood, and maybe you did have some control over that. But in childhood, you didn't. Not really. And so, therefore, 
to to look back and say I am the way I am today in every aspect because of what happened to me then is going to constrict you from moving forward all right we'll get to a call so when we come back Dr. Ray the wisdom of Mother Angelica and we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger see in a day and age where people are getting further away from God you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. Do you remember what our Lord said one day? Why do you call me good, he said. Only God is good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Underwritten in part by this not-for-profit. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Hello, Steve Ray here. Everything in the Bible and in the Catholic Church starts with the book of Genesis. It reveals to us God's plan for mankind. Yet Genesis can be daunting, especially given the scientific discoveries of the last few centuries. Well, that's where I come in with my new book, Genesis, a Bible study guide and commentary. Discover a thoroughly Catholic approach to this exciting and dramatic ancient narrative that is so often misunderstood. You can get the book now on the store page at AveMariaRadio.net. Check it out. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual funds. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. Raising your IQ with every segment. My ultimate goal is to raise your IQ with every sentence. And then, with every word. Even indefinite adjectives. This is Dr. Ray Grandy. Thanks for joining me here on The Doctor Is In. This is Look Back Friday. Let's go to our first look back call. Donna from New York has a friend who wants to leave her husband. And there are five children you are shocked that this holy religious woman wants to do this i am blown away yeah i am blown away i really it's a good friend and our kids play baseball together and we've gone to church together uh you know at the local catholic churches and very devout and her husband is is so devout and she's what happened is during covid because they didn't want to get the um vaccination they had to take a different job because they were in the medical field. So they both took a different job. They went, um, you know, found new jobs and things like that. Well, at her new job that she went to, apparently met somebody and thinks is going to fulfill her dream come true. And that is, a, she has five children, 15 and down. And I know both of them, like the husband's like a, you know, he's torn up. He actually converted to Catholicism to marry her against his parents' wishes. 
So oh boy, he's going to have to deal. He's going to have to deal with that fallout. Oh, see I what, know. See what happened? You did it, and this, and this is what Catholics are, huh? And I think early in their relationship, apparently, um, what I'm what I found out was that I guess they were unfaithful when they were dating, but not since they've been married. So that, she, that was like how, a why did she come and confide in you? I think she probably she thought I already knew because our sons played on the same you know varsity team. So I think she thought that I heard, um, but I didn't. Or if my son even knows, he didn't tell me because he wouldn't talk like he just wouldn't. He couldn't care less. You know what I mean? He wouldn't be the blabbermouth kid running around saying other pam- parents' problems, but. She told me we were standing in church, and we were going up to communion. She goes, oh, I'm not going to receive communion. I'm just going to get them a blessing. And I was like, she goes, well, you know about me and Chris. And I'm like, no, what? So we're standing at the back of church, like in line, getting ready to go up. Oh, that's a nice place to tell you. It was communion was, line, huh? Like, can you imagine? Yeah. Hmm. So she was going up to get a blessing. She goes, well, I can't receive hmm. communion. And she was because I had an affair. And I'm like, it just the whole conversation. And she had like this look at her. But to back well, she up, can repent from this relationship, but it doesn't sound like she wants to. It wants she wants to pursue it. What happened is um, maybe about it was last fall. She was expecting, and it would have been their sixth child. And she always has she has multiple. She had a multiple, a single, a multiple. So her the husband was afraid. He's like, "What if it's a multiple again? Like this is a lot. Like I don't know if I can handle like having more multiples." And so he was really down on the idea of like, "Oh my gosh! Like we finally have kids in school full time. Like we're really going to go have, you know, more like a baby again. Like are we starting this over?" And her sister had just had a baby, so he felt she just wanted a baby because her sister had a baby. That it wasn't the reason why you keep having more families. So he was upset about the pregnancy. But then she, then he came around, and he was like, "Okay, well, I guess this is it. This is real." So he started getting excited about it. it was maybe does she care so about long. your opinion? She does. That's why I want to be careful how I talk to her. Okay. Because she well, blocked her mother and her sister, and I don't want her to block because I want her mother and her sister basically are saying, "What are you doing?" And she's saying, "Don't, don't, don't judge me. Don't tell me what to do." Is that's been her reaction? Right, because she said they're preaching at her, and you don't know. You don't know. So at this point, so at this point, if you do the same thing, she'll block you too. If she can block her mother and her sister, there's nothing stopping her from blocking you. The only reason she hasn't is because you haven't said anything yet. Well, I told her at church she's under attack. I was like, because after the miscarriage, she really went into such a depression. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. I I know there's probably a lot of details here. I want to. I want to bring us up to date on this. So, your question really is, Donna, what do I say to her if and when this comes up again? Correct? Well, she said she wants to talk to me. Actually, she goes, I need to talk. She goes, I got to talk to you about this. So, I know she wants to. Now, let's just ask her a whole bunch of questions. For example, you mentioned in your line here on the computer screen that she was very devout. Uh, my sad experience has been that, unfortunately, devotion practices don't mean depth of Christianity for some people. Sadly, they don't. Yeah. Uh, I've been in this business a long time. I've heard of daily mass goers who do all kinds of things that are just so completely unloving. I've seen supposedly very devout people like your friend dump her husband and five kids 
She's making a horrific mistake. Her sister mistake. thinks she's bipolar. Her sister's like, there's right. something wrong with her. But I almost wonder if it's not hormonal after the miscarriage, if she just went well, pill. Like, she really just, you know. Right, you're, you're not going to probably convince her of that because she'll just feel you're attacking her. Right. Her, her justification is going to be, you don't know what I've lived with. You know, we, we look wonderful from the outside, but if you're on the inside, it's the pain I've lived with and the sadness I've lived with and the difficulty I've lived with, et cetera, et cetera. And that other person makes me feel so good about myself and I'm so very happy and I deserve happiness too. Probably something along those lines. That's kind of the standard, right. temp- standard template. Okay, here's what you do. You ask her, what do you think will happen if you leave your husband and your five children? Well, I think the kids I think the kids will deal with it because, you know, this has not been a good situation. So what will you do if your fifteen year old decides that you broke up their family and he doesn't want to talk to you anymore? What will you do if as the kids get older they really don't want to come and visit you? In other words, you're gonna point out to her she's not thinking this through. And you're right. not going to say, you know, your son is probably not gonna to talk to you anymore. You're not gonna say that. You're gonna say, What would you do? If this happens, what will happen over time if this fella that she's dating, is he married? I think he is, yeah. Right. So he's probably got kids. So what happens if his kids don't like her? What happens if he doesn't like yeah, her I guess kids? he has older, older children, apparently. Yeah. And what happens if they don't like her? And what, In other words, even from a non-moral perspective she is not at all pondering the complications of this at all not at all uh, so she give just her the thinks, logistics like give her the logistics, logistics like- yes ma'am and ask her all these questions and especially focus on the kids because very commonly as the kids get older some of them look at the parent who left the family who broke up the family with great resentment Some of them write that parent off. And it's five sons. Yeah, this this isn't something where they're going to go, well, you know, Mom deserves to be happy. That's great. No, they're going to go, she ruined our family. Obviously, there's a lot of dynamics going on underneath it all in this case. And there's no way Donna can know it all. And given that this wife is hiding behind the rationale you don't know it all or you would understand why i'm doing this uh that's why you gotta you gotta avoid the old well it's not as bad as you think it is because sounds like she is convinced that she deserves a new relationship sometimes people will say to me in therapy what will you do when somebody wants to leave their family? Usually, Almost always there's another person on the scene. Almost always. They'll deny it. No, there's nobody else. And then you find out there is. What do you do? How do you, how do you appeal to morals? Because they really don't have any moral compunction about doing this. What you do is you walk them through all the possibilities of what's going to happen. They don't think it through. Their view is very narrow. I'm unhappy. This other person makes me happy. So therefore, why wouldn't I? They're not thinking anything about any of that. In this case, 
it sounds like she she's breaking up a marriage too. Not not only her family, but the guy's marriage. Now, of course, I don't doubt, and I've this is typically the way it goes. He's convinced her that the marriage has been dead for years, and he's going to get out no matter what. And so, therefore, she makes him feel so good, etc., etc., etc. Well, where to now? If Donna can ask her friend, are you willing to give your marriage a little more time? Oh, I got I got cut off on the break in the look back call, and I'm getting cut off on the break in this one. All right, I want to talk a little bit more about it because it's such, such a common thing. So common out there. Um, when we come back, I want to make a few more comments about Donna's friend and her desire to leave for her husband and five kids. When did Jesus reveal the existence of the Holy Spirit? Though the Lord alluded to the Spirit in speaking to Nicodemus and to the Samaritan woman, the Catholic Catechism tells us Jesus did not fully reveal the Holy Spirit until he himself had been glorified through his death and resurrection. Little by little, nevertheless, Jesus did also refer to the Holy Spirit even when teaching to the multitudes, as when he says his own flesh will be food for the life of the world. When the hour for his glorification arrives, Jesus actually promises the arrival of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Truth, the other paraclete, says the Catechism, will be given by the Father in answer to Jesus' prayer. He will be sent by the Father in Jesus' name. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. Today, many U.S. citizens chafe under big government and have actually turned anti-government. St. Paul, however, teaches that in some way, the civic authorities are ministers of God. Even King Jesus didn't consider it unjust to give taxes to Caesar. But we must never let Caesar or the king, the prime minister, uh, stand in the place of God and control our conscience. When ancient Israel demanded that Samuel give them a human king, Samuel warned them that he's going to bring heavy taxes, he's going to bring a military draft, he's going to favor the rich. And when Jesus, the true king, actually arrives, he dies for his people, because that's what a true king is willing to do. King Jesus, still on the throne, no matter what presidents, dictators, or earthly rulers do. And we have to remember, we get our marching orders from him. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Doing the show with my eyes closed. That's right. Dr. Ray Grandy, thanks for joining me here. The doctor is in. I just... uh, was commenting on a look back call from Donna has a friend who wants to leave her husband and their five children. The husband converted to the Catholic faith and by all outward appearances, the wife is a devotionally faithful Catholic. 
So Donna says she's already written off her mom and her sister because her friend does not want to hear what they have to say. So that's a really, really bad sign. It's a sign that her friend is absolutely committed to leaving. Sorry, bad choice of words. Committed to leaving her marriage and her five children. My suggestion to Donna to recap was that Donna ask her friend about what she sees as potential repercussions of leaving your wife, your husband and your five kids. <clears throat> so now, where do we go? Well, at this point, the kids are going to be affected badly, very badly. Uh, I think Donna could ask about that. She could say, well, how do you think all this will affect your kids? Keeping in mind that when someone has already decided on a course of action, they're going to justify. Well, I don't think the kids should have to live in that environment anyway. It's better for them. Mm. Is that what they think? Do they know? What if, what if you asked them, what would you think if mom and dad broke up? Ask them. Hear what they think. There's going to be some of them that's just going to be so devastated they're not going to be able to find the words to it. Little eight-year-old daughter's going to just start sobbing. That's going to happen. But very, very, very few people, and this makes my point, very, very few people who are thinking of leaving a marriage are going to ask the children, even hypothetically, How would you react if mommy and daddy were not together anymore? Or mom and dad if it's an older kid. The older kids are the ones who usually feel the most bitterness. The younger kids, they still have that little kid attachment to the parent. It's like the old abusive, neglective parent that the kid does not want to be separated from them no matter what. They don't want to go to a foster care setting. But in this case, the younger ones will will kind of accept it much better than the older ones. The older ones have much more independent opinions about this. What was the other point I wanted to make about this? I think it was something very, very critical. I don't know the stats on this, but in these kinds of situations where someone decides to leave their marriage especially when there are children involved for someone else. I do know that the divorce rate of second-time relationships is much higher than first-time. What's that tell you? But I would wonder about the relationship durability rate. In other words, after a year and a half, she finds out this guy isn't Prince Charming. The kids are going to be fine. There's probably no research group of studies that has more support than divorce is bad for kids. Now, I know I'm speaking to people who had divorce forced upon them. I know that. And this, this, is, this is not to blame you. But it's overwhelming that children of divorced families have much more struggles in life. You would expect that. It's much more complex. 
and the old notion that it's better that and this this was one that really really gained momentum several decades ago it's better for the kids to live in separate homes than it is to live in a conflictual home is not true it is not true research does not support that furthermore the kids would prefer to live with mom and dad even in the friction as opposed to having two separate homes because that carries with it all manner of complications. What do you do in situations like this? Let's say you're the dad. She's leaving. And there's no way to stop her. Some of the time what happens is that the partner ready to leave agrees to counseling. Unfortunately, they agree only to be able to say, we tried counseling, it didn't work. Sadly, I get that. That's why when they come into my office and there is a, a, a nearing separation, very nearing. Matter of fact, there's another person on the scene. I will ask each person, do you want to save this marriage? you want to heal this marriage the one who is committed to the marriage will immediately say yes the other one will waffle it depends well we'll have to see how it goes I'm not sure it can be saved I don't know if it's worth it there will be waffling responses those are almost a dead giveaway that 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 marriage counseling isn't going to go anywhere much past a session or two and the motivation to come in was I want to be able to say we tried counseling and it didn't work there my conscience is clear interesting but when you've been at this long enough you start to see certain themes emerge that's why I'm a little more sensitive to that occurring in the office I don't automatically assume that when spouses come in they both are motivated to save the marriage five kids five kids the justification and I've heard it many times and I've even heard it among the experts it isn't good to stay in a marriage for the sake of the kids huh what better motivation would there be well if you're miserable and unhappy why stay in that marriage just for the sake of the kids because if you stay in the marriage for the sake of the kids there is chance for healing this idea that you don't do this for the sake of the kids is really saying I want to do what I want to do and considering the sake of the kids is not on my priority list it's just a terrible justification if you have children especially children of child rearing age then what is a better motivation than to try to stay together not miserably but to stay together to work on this because there are potential little victims sitting there. You don't want them to experience this. 
Father Benedict Rochelle. Some great people have shown respect for God. Can I read you a little quotation from Albert Einstein, who many times showed a great respect for religion and was one of the great admirers of Pope Pius XII for his stand against the Holocaust during the Second World War. Einstein wrote, The fairest thing we can experience is the mysterious. Is the fundamental emotion that stands at the cradle of all true art and science. A knowledge of the existence of something we can't penetrate. Of the manifestations of the profoundest reason and the most radiant beauty, which are only accessible to our minds in the most elementary form. It is this knowledge and this emotion that constitute the truly religious attitude. Oh my, so beautifully said. The people you know and trust are on EWTN. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio. Suffering in the world, personal suffering. One of the biggest things that keeps people from really giving themselves over to the Lord or joining an organized religion. Suffering doesn't seem to make sense. Why do children suffer? Why are there wars? Why is there persecution? Why are some people poor, others rich? Why is there such an imbalance? And on and on and on. A loving God wouldn't do that. Well, God doesn't do that. First of all, we did it to ourselves because in the beginning, right, we chose incorrectly. And then sin came into the world. It was not supposed to be like this, but God gives us free will. He does not want to force himself on us because otherwise we would be puppets. But how many of us can look back and forget what came out of a particular hard time? You don't learn really good, strong lessons when everything is going great. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern, on EWTN Radio. Dr. Zinn rated uh, PG-13, psychological grandstanding, at roughly a 13-year-old maturity level. I'm working on it. This is Look Back Friday. Let's see where we go. Nicole from Michigan has an eight-year-old son who lies. Where'd you adopt this little guy from? Uh, foster care. Um, how old was? Yeah, how old was he when you got him? Um, came into my home at two and two months, um, and then the adoption finalized when he was four. You familiar with much of his early life environment, womb environment, all that? Not, a little bit. Um, probably some drug use, maybe some alcohol. Mm. I have actually his other two siblings, too. Okay. So, kind of have everybody. <laughs> I'm, not just, I'm not just asking those questions out of curiosity, Nicole. Um, there's, mm-hmm. there's a a lot of research that indicates that those very early womb years and even very early in life are extremely brain formative and there's a higher risk that there's going to be some conscience problems or development problems or socialization problems or emotional maturity problems have you seen that yeah, um, he does have a diagnosis of ADHD, and then they gave him a diagnosis of autism, but they don't know if the trauma and the ADHD combined creating the symptoms of autism. Okay. 
Um, but right, right now the the crisis is he's stealing stuff at school, right? He's stealing at school and he's lying, so the school can't trust him. Well, stealing and lying. In one of my early books, I talk about the dynamic duo because if you're going to steal, you're going to lie about it. That's almost a yeah. given. Okay. What's he taken? Um, just random things. Uh, a bracelet from a little girl, um, mm. an eraser. Um, just little little things that just I mean he doesn't need, and they're. Random. How do you catch him? How do you catch him? The one time I was sitting in the back of his classroom and I saw him take it, and he didn't know I was in the classroom. That's how I caught him, because I was watching him. And then I guess the teacher, she suspected he was the one who took it. That's how she caught him, with the eraser, because the little girl said her eraser was missing. Is he doing this Is he doing this uh, chronically? This is something that he, he does pretty regularly? It, it seems to be getting pretty regular. It was like he was stealing Pokemon cards from other kids. He'd come up with a bunch of Pokemon cards. <laughs> like, I didn't buy these for you. So I'd, you know, make him return them. Um, but it seems to be almost like a weekly thing. Ooh. And and apparently he's not completely sneaky because you catch him, at least what appears to be most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. He's, he's really actually a bad liar. <laughs> Well, that's good. Very sneaky, which is all really great, but I don't tell him that. <laughs> all right. So, what do you what do you do when you catch him stealing something? I, I try to explain to him that if if it's wrong, obviously, and then if someone were to steal from him, he'd feel really bad. He doesn't seem to get it. It's, now, I didn't say what do you say. I said what do you do. Oh, I've made him apologize to the person to their face, um, return the item, and then. Um, Usually has a consequence when he gets home. What's he the consequence? He doesn't get the TV, or he's got to go spend, you know, some time in his room. Or so, you, what you're saying, Nicole, is the consequences are pretty mild, given the offense. They are to an extent because he he has an anger issue. <laughs> I don't want to push the anger. You know what I'm saying? So you're saying you don't want to make him too mad by giving him a consequence that's heavier. Yeah, because sometimes when he gets too angry, then he goes and does things, like bust the taillight on the back of my car. I see. So you've got yourself uh, you got yourself trapped in a corner here. Somewhat, yeah. Because if you say to him, for example, you know, son, if you take anything from somebody that doesn't belong to you, and you know that's wrong, I'm going to take your favorite thing, and it's going to be gone forever. And then, mm -hmm. furthermore, you're going to not have no privileges of any kind for three days. Mm -hmm. That will be that will be the cost. Now, if you're saying, "Oh, Ray, if I do that, oh, this kid's going to melt down. He's going to find some sneaky way to destroy something." Yeah. Well, you're going to have to keep a close eye on him, and then you're going to have to deal with what he destroys. Yeah. You can't you can't be held blackmailed. Okay. By, okay, Mom, if you make me do anything more than I'm accepting, you better watch out because I'm coming after you. Okay. He's only going to get bigger. He's only going to get smarter, and he's only going to get sneakier. Okay. So you might want to tell him this. You might want to say, you know what, son? Stealing is very wrong. And I got to tell you, if you take anything from anybody, 
and I find out about it. I'm going to start with your favorite possession, and it will be gone. Now, you may say, I'll take it for a month. You may say, I'll take it for good. Mm-hmm. But when you say, go spend time in your room or you take TV away, that's very benign. It's a very benign consequence. I mean, he's, so what? So okay. he loses an hour worth of TV. Big deal. He'd rather have the thrill and the excitement of trying to take something. Not that he needs it. He just wants it. Or doesn't even want it. He just wants to try and see if he can do it. Okay. You see what's happening here? One of the, well, actually, one of the chapters that pretty much made uh, two or three of my books was something I called escalation. Escalation is a major reason why parents will not put what they think would be reasonable, legitimate consequences on a behavior. Here's what you got with this little guy. He's starting to get light-fingered. He's taking stuff. He doesn't need it. He just wants it. He sees it. Opportunity presents itself. I would suspect that he doesn't get caught a certain percentage of the time. I don't know what that percentage is, but he doesn't get caught. He either steals a candy bar and eats it, or if she takes him to a store, he'll pick up something and eat it, whatever. So she puts a a rather minuscule set of consequences on me. I have to apologize, you have to bring it back, and then I'm going to take your TV away. She doesn't want to do any more because she says he gets out of control. He sabotages. So she's stuck. But she almost has no choice. She's got to let him know, what you're doing, son, we have to stop. Will that give this kid a conscience? Uh, that I don't know. But what it hopefully will do is at least weaken the stealing habit, if not eliminate it. We hope, we hope, we hope. If she makes the consequences sturdy enough, he may decide it's not worth taking an eraser when I lose my favorite stuffed animal. Dr. Ray, that's terrible. That's his animal. That's his source of security. That's something he really wants. Okay. And then if you don't want to do that, pick something else. But what I'm saying is he is, in fact, developing a stealing habit. That is is not a good predictor for future adjustment it's not it stealing is a very very strong predictor of bad adulthood so what we got to do is we've got to get it so that we we stop it and you break the habit until he gets maybe a little older and his conscience starts to have a little more strength to it he was diagnosed ADHD which means for his age He has an impulse problem. He has a distractibility problem for his age. Not surprising. A good percentage of kids get this diagnosis, earned or not, legitimate or not, when they have been drug and alcohol exposed in the womb and when, in fact, they've had early neglect. If the brain doesn't form as, as, as thickly, if you want to put it, in the vernacular and as healthily as it should especially in the areas involved with good judgment anticipation conscience guilt all of those things is going to be weakened so her explaining to him how wrong this is he, he already knows it's wrong it just doesn't stop him it's not a matter of i don't have the knowledge that it's wrong he does he doesn't care 
or he does, but not enough to stop him from taking it because it feels pretty good to get to take it. Now, when Nicole was talking, did, did you hear the hesitancy in her? When I made a couple of suggestions, she was hesitant, and then it came out. Well, if I, if I do that, he's going to really get ugly. Now, I, again, if, if you as a parent are constricted in what you're allowed to do because you're afraid of how the child will react, you got a big authority problem here. So, if she does that, be prepared for what he may do. Keep an eye on him. He may, may kick a hole in the wall in a temper fit, which at which point she's going to have to respond again with pretty, pretty consequences until he realizes, I can't do this. It's not in my best interest to do this. But, Dr. Ray, He's not developing a sense of right or wrong. That doesn't help him develop a sense of right or wrong. She's already explained to him over and over and over why these things are not good. So what will happen is he'll have to find out, I'd better control myself or these things are going to happen. I don't want these things to happen, so I'll control myself. Does that mean he has the self-control? No, probably not. This is all external control. But until those habits are broken, he's not going to develop any self-control. Why would he? You discipline me, I go crazy. Okay. So mom's thinking, okay, what discipline can I find that he will accept? Here's the problem with that. Inch by inch, he'll accept less. One of these times, he's going to get incredibly destructive just because she took TV from him. That's typically the way it goes. If I, don't, if I don't like how you discipline me, then I am more likely to dislike any kind of discipline. I'm, my tolerance for accepting the consequences of my behavior is getting less and less. Just some thoughts. I'm Dr. Ray. This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. MyLifeAngels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed, including all legal documents to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. MyLifeAngels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. What is going to happen to the number of people living alone into their 80s and 90s? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. For various reasons, the number of seasoned saints in their 80s and 90s is climbing fast. Within this decade, the first baby boomers will turn 80. Gray divorce is a thing. And of course, there is the reality of our mortality. As expected, more females will enter their 80s and 90s alone. These statistics are sobering, but they don't have to be depressing. Some like living alone. Many of us have family nearby. But the stats show that families and public policy will be affected greatly by this demographic shift. So what can we do? Plan ahead. Honestly assess your health and abilities and make adjustments, even to your home. Embrace technology to help you on this journey. Build community with your family, friends, and in your parish. And remember, Jesus is always with us. It's a promise. For more, look for the Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. 
Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things you don't believe in? There are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. That's 844-398-9399. Thank you for joining me here on the Doctor is in last segment. No time. The guess who? I think it's a guess who. No time left for you. Well, no time left for these calls anyway. Not just you. Um, I got to talk a, just a little bit more about the friend who wants to leave her husband. Former pastor of ours who has since passed away said when you are a faith-filled person and you want to leave anyway, you're basically saying that the Holy Spirit can't affect that marriage. The Holy Spirit does not have enough power to bring a healing and a better relationship to that marriage. Nothing's going to change. The people that I see who stay in very, very difficult marriages, very difficult, for the sake of their commitment, their religious beliefs, and their children, are among my heroes. I watch what they do. I get them as clients. They'll come in. They'll say, look, this is the situation. I want to deal with it as best I can for the sake of my family and they'll describe situations that if 50% of it was true, it'd be major ugly. But they deal with it. And they do it because they're committed. They do it because their sense of the marriage, the sense of the family, the sense of the kids, they do it. And I just sit in awe of them. And I know there are those of you out there like this, a lot of religious people listen to Catholic media. And I know you're in some tough marriages. I don't doubt that for a moment. But yet you've persevered. You've, you've found ways to make your marriage endurable, if you will. You've found ways to provide a, a family life for your children, despite the fact that your marriage struggling terribly so God bless you God bless you God strengthen you you are my heroes truly truly thanks for joining me here on the doctor is in I gotta run well I don't have to run my age I gotta walk good Lord permitting I'll see you on Monday walk with God and hold those kids tight by the hand can't hold them if you leave them For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.